Blog Talk Radio. <clears throat> Hello, is that you, Alice? It's me. Yes. Well, well, well. I just uh, tuned in. We had a little bit of technical difficulties in getting started, so your timing is perfect. Welcome to Energy Life, and uh, thank you, thank, thank you. you, thank you to all my listeners tuning in tonight. Alice, the attention factor. How did it come about? Well, it came about because I was on a quest to find out what kind of a mother I was because I I was a little bit afraid because my youngest teenager was beginning to smoke weed. And um, I went to a UCLA class with my beau, and uh, after that evening I had an epiphany on the word attention. So I decided, ah, a clue. And not knowing very much about attention, except what I saw in the newspaper or heard people say, I started looking in the back of books. And I looked in medical books. I looked in sports books. I looked in fitness books. I looked in every book that I could find to see what was written about attention. And the only thing I could find was in relationship to ADHD and ADD, and that really wasn't what I was looking for. So I had a, I had good books because I was doing parenting classes myself, and I had run I had been executive director of a nonprofit organization. <clears throat> so I had Bernie Siegel's book, Doctor Bernard Siegel's book called Love, Medicine, and Miracles. And I was looking through it. I looked in the back. It really didn't have anything about attention. But for some reason, I started thumbing through it, and I stopped at an anecdote. Why, I don't know. It was just, I guess, my guides were in action or something. And the anecdote that he had written about was a a, a, a surgeon was going to do surgery on the following Tuesday. This was Friday afternoon. And his patient had come in, and they were sort of hanging out and talking. And the physician said, well, I'd like to do another x-ray with you on Monday as we're going to do surgery on Tuesday. And I just want to see if everything's like I know it is. I want to see what condition your tumor is, how you are, etc." And they sort of chewed the fat. And on Monday, the patient came in and had the x-ray. And the doctor came in and said, well, this is very mysterious. I wished we started this before because your tumor has shrunk. Hmm. And I don't know why. And the patient said, well, I do. When I was here on Friday, I felt very safe with you and that you really cared about me and that everything was going to be all right. And that's Mm -hmm. what I was looking for. I was looking for the kind of attention that people receive and that people go, give when the people they're talking to feel safe and taken care of and that they matter. You know, I think you're really talking about the energy of love here. I am, and that's very interesting you should say it like that. because I, I, You're right on. People have asked me for years about what's my de- what's the difference between love and attention? And I say, well, love as I know it is quality attention in action. And it is about the energy of love. 
right? It because is. I you found, hit it right on the right on the head. I'm not surprised at all because I have experienced and observed pretty much the same thing uh, with uh, interactions between myself and other people that when love is present, and don't forget, you know, people very often are a little skeptical about spiritual matters, about energy matters, but as a friend recently pointed out to me, the people question that love exists, and yet it's not quantifiable. So, well, for me, it is quantifiable. Well, because I mean, people feel it. That's not what I mean. I mean, you can't really measure it like you could measure the width of a chair. That's what I meant. Uh, You're right. You can't. You can't. It's it's you know it's more subjective, but you know when it's there and you know when it's not there. That's and, right, and you're absolutely correct. And another thing is, just saying I love you to someone doesn't make it happen. Well, it has to be real. It has to be authentic. Otherwise, well, it, it has, has to no be power. authentic. But the person you're saying it to must feel loved. Well, I, I think that right, you've opened up a bit of a can of worms, and that's a very interesting question as to the disposition of both parties in a situation like that. But let's, let's just take it back a few notches. I'd like for you to tell the audience a little bit about your background before we get further into the attention factor. Okay. Um, personally... I was told by my mother and father, I'm an only child, my father was a physician, my mother was a teacher, we lived in Detroit, Michigan, that they loved me. But I knew as I was growing up that I didn't feel loved because everything that I really excelled in was taken away. Now, why do you think that was? Well, you're asking really <laughs> deep questions. I think when I excelled at something, my mother was um, was shaken because she perceived that if I was really good at something, I would leave. Just a smart lady. And um, she didn't want me to leave. She needed me. They both needed me because I perceive now from a distance that I was born to keep to connect them to keep that that relationship going, but I didn't know that, but that's the job I was brought in to do mm-hmm. and um the they were very um they were very uh demanding of themselves and also of me as a perfect potentially perfect child and i figured it out very early i didn't know what i was doing but the demand to speak was the only demand i could really really withdraw so i became a non-speaker i became a selective mute and they were not only very embarrassed but very concerned and they took me to a um a very fine child development center for testing when I was 19 months old. And my mother did a wonderful thing. She kept the letter that they sent her, and the letter said, she's fine, just leave her alone. She'll develop on her own rate. Because when she was through with the tests, she went over to the corner, put her galoshes on, 
put her coat on and left. I was 19 months old. I love that part. I love that part because sorry, that part left, really showed left, my energy. She, wait a minute. She left you there? I don't understand. Uh, no, I left. She took me there. I was only 19 months old. And when I was through with the tester, I was through. I got up, I left, put my clothes on, and went out to see her to get my mother. Oh, my mother I wasn't see. in the room. I see what you mean. Okay, okay. And I went to kindergarten as a non-speaker. And I had one speech correction teacher, one appointment, one speech correction appointment. The lady was very kind gave me a mirror, asked me to open up my mouth and look at the long thing that was hanging in my throat and said to me, Alice, that's where your words come from. And I haven't stopped talking since. (laughs) But the word energy is right here because she, this woman's energy was so different to me. There was no expectation. I just picked up kindness and generosity and no judgment. That's what my body picked up. I was right. fine. So interesting. And I, I've that. asked myself a, a, that question for many, many years because I didn't understand the whole, the whole, my whole behavior. Why did I stop smoke, uh, uh, speaking or why didn't I speak? And through the work that I've done, and my living and experience, it was because the demand, the energetic demand was so great that I just, I, I, I defied them. Well, it sounded like it was, you know, like you said, you didn't really feel pure love, which is what you felt from the speech uh, aid. You know, correction the woman who helped you. Yeah, this uh, yeah. correction teacher. And, you know, either people have it or they don't. And I think a lot of people are under a delusion that just because they're connected to someone on a family basis, it automatically means that they love you. Because obviously it doesn't. No, it Um, doesn't. It it doesn't. doesn't. And that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to accept in their lives. And they spend many, many years and sometimes a good portion of their life surrounded by people who don't really love them and they wonder why they're unhappy. Right. <laughs> well, this has never been discussed. I mean, we're just getting to the point in our culture now when we talk about what energy means. That's a very important How energy affects at. people. And well, I well. think that there are certain brothers and sisters, siblings, I don't have any, but I've observed a lot, who really grow up and hate their siblings because uh-huh. their siblings get everything they want and they don't right. get what they want and they don't understand it. Right. Well, certainly there are those situations. Now, let's just fast forward a bit. Now that we know that um, you were you were a very stubborn child, <laughs> we'll take that under advisement. Um, but thank God you started to talk. And what led you to this understanding, to this epiphany that spawned the attention factor? Well, because... I wanted. I knew it was a clue. I'd never had an epiphany before, and I haven't had one since. So I thought it was very important for me to learn what attention was. And when I when I got Doctor Siegel's uh, definition, uh, he didn't give me a definition, but the patient described how this doctor made him feel that he felt safe, and that he felt like the doctor cared, 
and that he was important to him. That that was like a, a, a junior epiphany. I said, that's what I'm looking for. So then I started really researching that kind of um, uh, story. And the results from what I was searching for were so positive when people got the kind of attention they needed. It was just night and day. People thrive when they get the kind of attention they need or want. And you know what else they do, Robert? They smile. They automatically smile. It's just a, it's a physical phenomenon. When you give somebody the kind of attention they, want, they need, watch. They'll automatically smile. So all the, all the d- different things that I was learning about suddenly became connected. And mm-hmm. it just became, it, it took on a life of its own. I got lots of stories to tell and lots of really good uh, research about, I mean, medical research as well as every other research. And I finally went, I was doing some parenting classes that sort of came out of my executive uh, director's uh, uh, nonprofit when I was talking about what are the effects, what is the impact of heavy television viewing on children and families. I did this for four and a half years because I was concerned that 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 was my child's first addiction, my youngest child's first addiction, and it was. He was a television addict, and that's about as close as you can get to the beginning of addiction. I mean, it all fits together now. Mm-hmm. But um, I was giving well, classes at a ranch in uh, a spa in Tacani, Mexico, and I was uh, giving classes in um, in crafts and things because I was a hand waver at this time. And I wrote to my program director, the program director, and I said, I have a new body of work I'd like to bring to the ranch. And she said, we'd love to have you back because I hadn't gone for a year, but it'll take you a year to get in. So I, I was called to go there again in November, in uh, 1991, 1991. And the lady, we all went on a Saturday night and we stayed for the week. And the lady who sat next to me at dinner was a literary agent from New York. I was living in Los Angeles at this point. I'd been there for many years. And I thought, oh, good, I'm going to get a book. But I never saw her for the rest of the week. She was a jock. And I wasn't because I was working. I gave three workshops and a big presentation at night. And at uh, the night before we went back to our homes, she gave my uh, my boyfriend her card and said, if Alice ever needs me, here's my card, which thrilled me. The next morning at breakfast, it was another Saturday, There was a chair next to hers, and I sat down, and I said, Barbara, thank you so much for your card, but you you don't know what I do. You never came to anything. She was out hiking and running and all the sports. And she said, Alice, I I don't have to know because everybody here is talking about you. So that's really what I needed. It meant that my work resonated with everybody. And that was so that, that was thrilling for me. So that was in 1991. Now, how did that translate into uh, classes or workshops specifically geared towards the attention factor? Well, my work at that point was called the attention factor. 
I even oh, okay. somebody said, "Have you have you registered it yet?" I said, "No. Why should I?" He says, "Because you'll make a lot of money." <laughs> Which I, and that's another story. Um, I gave workshops. I was a member of the uh, wellness center in uh, Los Angeles. It was early. It was really early for all of this, but there were a group of people who were taking wellness into the corporate world. And it was a hard sell at that point because uh, uh, the corporations didn't really feel that they had a place for it. But I gave a workshop there that was very successful, and people liked it a lot and invited me other places. I was taken to – I was asked to speak at a a group of preschool managers and owners, and I did – there were about 12 of them there, and the woman in the front row when I was giving my workshop, which is really, I have systematized what I know, was moving around in her chair. She couldn't stand it. She practically stood on top of the chair, and I said, I think you have something to say, and this is what she said, which I say, but she hadn't heard it. You know, attention doesn't have to cost anything, and you never run out, and I said, you're absolutely right, and that's true. The man, when I talked to uh, at the uh, he w- the man who asked me the other man was the membership chairman of the downtown YMCA, and his remark was, to me was, "I really didn't know that I was going to get skills to use at home as well as at work." Now okay. these were big things to me. This was good, uh, and I spoke a lot, and uh, I stayed home with my youngest kid who I was worried about, and I changed the way I parented, really, because I became very conscious. I decided that I had not given him the kind of attention he needed. Now, I have three sons, and the two older ones, I thought, went through childhood just fine. One was uh, seven years older, and one was ten years older. And I was it made me a conscious parent. That's what it did. And things changed. Uh, he did well in school. He never dropped out, but he was part of the druggy group. And I was uh, when he was a, uh, a sophomore, uh, a junior, beginning junior. I decided that I could not be mother and father because I was not living with his father, and that he should go away to school. School is scary in Los Angeles. There, uh, as a matter of fact, one third of his high school did not graduate which is really frightening because, yeah, we were in the high-rent district, and uh, these kids dropped out. But uh, I I had a talk with him. I came home one day, and his room was full of kids. They weren't doing anything that wasn't wasn't, uh, totally acceptable to me. They were playing cards and playing chess and smoking, but not smoking weed, just smoking. I mean, they were 16 years old. That's what kids do. And uh, it was noon, and um, I had signed Jonathan out for a, uh, a work permit, but there no, there were no, there was no work for these kids. So I called out to him and I said, "I want you to tell your kids that I want to talk to you alone, and that uh, they, I, 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 there was nothing wrong. I just wanted to talk to you, and maybe they should come home and come another day." So they left gracefully. Okay. Yeah, you know, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, and it's a fascinating story, but I have a question from the audience, which I'd like to um, 
throw your way, Alice. And this is the question yes. I received. The question is this. What have you learned about giving attention without being overbearing? It's an interesting question. It's a fascinating question. And to be overbearing is never giving the kind of attention that kids need. And I've learned lately in my work to request that everybody ask the people they work with, the people they love, the people that are their families, what kind of attention would you like from me? And if you don't know right now, I mean in your own words, but think about it first. If you don't know right now, think about it and then tell me so we can talk about it and I can know if I can give it to you. Or I can't. Now, right. nobody talks about attention, really. Not this way. Well, well listen, in the beginning and, of this uh, talk, we pretty much equated the kind of attention you're talking about with the energy of love. So it's really about giving to somebody. That's the attention you're talking about. Just so that the person who asked the question, who maybe didn't uh, tune in earlier to listen to that part of the uh, our discussion, um, and love is a very, very dicey element, especially in our society. You know, my observation today is that there are many people in our society, many, many people, who aren't getting even their minimal emotional needs met in their daily life, not their minimum amount. And so when you talk about showering love on people, you know, in most people's daily interactions, they aren't necessarily working in a loving landscape at work with their loved ones, with their family and friends. So this is a work in progress for people to learn, number one, I think, how to love yourself and tune into the energy of love when nobody's around so that you feel that protection, that warm bubble, and then to share that, that with vital, other people. Vital. Total, super important, and no one talks about that either. You know, but I know, I think I know. Uh, this is what we all have to do first. First and foremost is to learn what makes us feel good and give it to ourselves and then ask for it. And if you don't know what it is, you don't know how to ask for it. Well, you know, I, have, you to, keep I have to add something. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with that, but I have to add something to that analysis that I think that if you're in a very loving place within yourself, you don't really need anything from anybody else except the opportunity to share what you have with other people. But you're not in a needy state of mind. Your energy is not needy. So you're going to get so much love when you're not needy because when people are needy, it repels the love they need anyway. Well, one of the things about get, making, getting, uh, getting the kinds you need is making connections. And even if you do love yourself and you know what to do for yourself, you still need to make connections with the people in your life. And they really don't know what kind of connections you need unless you tell them. Well, I think that I would only add to that that it's certainly preferable to be connected to the people in your life, but how many people today really feel that much love for themselves and aren't afraid to show it, aren't afraid to share it. 
you know, most people are, are in, I think, a consciousness of scarcity when it comes to love. Most people that you encounter, you could tell in the first few minutes that you meet somebody whether they love themselves or not. And I don't mean in a narcissistic way, by the way. I'm no, not talking I'm about, not talking about that. But we're that's not talking what happens about that when people all. don't get what they need. Well, that's one way that people try and make themselves feel better is to turn narcissistic. But it yes. doesn't work. You know, no, and that's, that's and, correct. And there are, there's a lot of people in our society who are narcissistic. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, in fact, we're living at a time of unprecedented narcissism when you look around. Well, people just don't know. They, I didn't know. I, I didn't know anything at all. And you, when you begin to know what you need and operate in that manner, there are people around you who won't like you much anymore and are very threatened by that because you really learn to take care of yourself in a nice way, but there's a caveat to that. When you do that, it's really nice to take care, to let other people learn the same and to take care of themselves if they want to. You well, know, it's very con. It's no, I, very convoluted said, and very yeah. It's well. It's, uh, that's why I said earlier that you know, and we agree. The first step is to learn how to have those feelings yourself and to access that energy, and then to share it with the people in your life. Of course, but it doesn't, you know, on a certain level, it doesn't matter if the people in your life can accept it or not, because you're not attached to whether or not they do. You offer it to somebody, and if they can accept it, and if that enhances their life, great. But if they're not at the point where they can accept it, that's also great. It doesn't really matter. Well, you're right, absolutely, but it does matter. Why? Because they don't have to accept it, but it's nice if they at least understand it. Well, wait and a minute, if they get, if, because you know, we, we role it, model, it, we always role model, you know, well, yeah, okay, parents. When, well, okay, when you say it's nice, but that's sort of like a, an egocentric way of looking at it. It really, your ego maybe gets a little boosted if somebody responds to you. But when you're coming from a pure, loving space, it doesn't really matter whether somebody responds because you know where you're coming from. You're offering You're right. it out there. You're giving them a beautiful gift. Whether they choose to accept it or not, you cannot control that, nor should you. That's right. You're right. But it would make the world a, a nicer place if well, everybody accepted that we're not all the same and we all need different things. Right. I, I think that, that what you just said is just an idea, you, and it's your point of view, and I don't disrespect it. I don't necessarily think that it, that it follows naturally from what we're talking about because that's like just an idea to float around. It would make the world a better place. In a sense, when you put that energy out to anybody, that pure, loving energy, you have created the most beautiful world for yourself and the people in your immediate energy field. Well, and that's your world. That's it. <laughs> You've done it. You're right. You have created a beautiful world. You don't have to do a thing more than that. Well, I think it's nice if we if we can offer that to other people. Absolutely. Whether they choose to accept it or not is not up to us. That's and right. It depend, That's right. It will depend on their level of openness at the time and what they need yeah. at the time. They may not Yeah, they may not need what we are offering them at that time, and that's perfectly okay. 
I think know, the danger um, is. It, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I I learned a lot before my mother left, and I took her to the dentist the day before she left. I didn't know she was going to leave. She had a heart business. But I said, Mom, I'm going to the grocery store. What would you like me to buy for you? And she said, donut holes. So I got her donut holes. And I took her home, and I dropped her off. And the next day, she was taken to the hospital. And I said, I can't come tonight because I got something to do, but I'll go tomorrow. I'll be with you tomorrow. And she said to me for the first time over the telephone, Alice, I love you. And I said, I love you too. And the next day, she was gone. Wow. The point in my telling you this is I think that the donut holes, that was what she wanted, and that's what I gave her. Right. So I was, I mean, it was shocking to me, but at least I knew that I'd heard her and that she'd watched me begin to take care of myself that she had never been able to do. Right. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. By the way, we're going to extend the show for 15 minutes. I just received permission. So, oh, okay. um, yeah. Um, so I, I think that's really beautiful, and it's great that you were able to um, to hear that for for the first time uh, from your mom. Um, you know, I, I think that navigating this area of attention or love is one of the most challenging things that we're put on earth to do. You know, the way we treat other people, the level of love that we can bring to any situation, I think is the crucial factor in everything. I think it determines everything, personally. Well, yeah. Thank you. So do I. And giving somebody the kind of attention they want after you ask them what they need or want is so simple most of the time. That it, and it works. I've got right. reams of content, reams, uh, where this occurs, sometimes unconsciously, but when it does occur, it were, it, it's so incredible. It, it, it makes my heart sing, because I look yeah. for it now. Absolutely. You know, you know, we have another question from the audience. Uh, let me read it to you. My wife tells me that she doesn't need my advice, but merely for me to hear her point of view. What's your comment on that, Alice? <laughs> your wife, <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. Your wife is asking you to listen to her and to say nothing, um, but just listen and then say to her, perhaps, I've heard everything you've said, and this is, I'm very impressed, or I'm delighted, or something, or what can I do to support you in this? But listening is so important, and we don't get listened to. And I under—I hate to tell you, but I understand your wife. I had to say to my husband once, at the same time, I don't need your advice. I don't want you to tell me what to do. Just listen to me. That's all I want you to do. Right. But sometimes we do want the advice of loved ones, too. Then we can right? ask for it. I yeah. need your advice. I'd like your right. advice. Would you right. give me your advice? Yes. I see. Good question. You're a lucky husband because now you have the answer. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so listening is just one form of love. I mean, uh, you know, to actually be there and listen to somebody and not be like, you know, looking through Facebook or looking through your emails while you're listening to somebody. Or your talking on your diverted. telephone or involved in your various screens. My concern today is how our kids are going to grow up because they're really not investing in their inner resources. Because when you're on a screen, you don't get a chance to look at the person who's talking to you. So you don't know how you really respond to that person. You know, I was able, I was in a position to give to keep Mr. Rogers on the air. And Mr. Rogers' skill that was so extraordinary was talking to the inside of kids. I've interviewed so many people on how they, what they thought of Mr. Rogers, and only one person, and I bet hundreds of people said, I didn't like him. I said, you didn't? How come? She said, because he wouldn't come through the screen and be my dad. Huh. That's what he did. He was a father. He was a, a virtual father to so many kids. Right. Well, I would agree with you. I'm not so sure that I think that, people today are one way or another because I meet such a wide range of people in the course of my life <laughs> and um, of all different ages and I would be reluctant to generalize about any particular group. I think the real, the real thing for people to be aware of and to try and keep in mind is to not stray too far from your soul in whatever you do. And I was reading this wonderful novel over the summer, and one of the characters in the novel, this woman, uh, and, and it took place somewhere in England, this novel, but it was a, a modern novel, and the woman would go places with her husband, and she would leave various events, and, hello? I'm here. Yeah, and the reason she would give to leave an event like a party or, you know, anything like that was, I don't feel the soul of this situation anymore. And I think there are a lot of people today that are on autopilot and that are not really connected to their souls and what they're doing. And when you're in a situation, let's say you're in a room filled with people, and these people are going after things that are not connected to their soul, you can feel it. And this, this character in the novel actually felt that, and she would just leave because she didn't want to be in a situation where the energy felt that way to her. And I was fascinated by that when I read that. And I, I really think that whether someone is connected to their soul is not even a factor of age or whether they're on a screen too much. It's a very individual thing, you know? Because I've met plenty of people who are in their early 20s today that are very connected to their soul. And I've met people that are on the other side of 60 who are completely disconnected. So I really think it has nothing to do with your age. Well, I agree with you. And if I, if I said that everybody was alike, my goodness, I certainly never intended that. And some people love parties like that. Some people prefer to have a, converse, a deep conversation with one person. That and there are 25 people in the room, but that's what they need and that's what they learn to give themselves so they don't right. go from person to person. And I think that's part of knowing your soul or feeling your soul going for what you need and not right. making other people wrong because they don't. 
Right. So she go. I love this. I love what uh, what you got from this book. Yeah, because well, I very I can did. relate to that. When what? she didn't feel that there was any soul in the room, she left. Well, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have left, and I'll bet you there was some soul in that room that she didn't investigate. But I haven't read the book. There's well, always it, soul somewhere. Well, there is, of course. There are souls walking around in bodies. There's no question about it. But people are very, very often disconnected from their true selves. So they're yes, going through the motions, the, of, you know, of what they think. She just left people. this lady. She didn't tell her husband or anything. She just no. Left? She went with her husband. She took her husband right. and she left. Yeah. She just she didn't left want by to herself. Say no, no, no. She left with her husband. She just didn't want oh, to stay in a situation. Him. They were very much in love in this book, extremely in love, and they were very okay, connected. Well, I think that's a uh, that's a fairly good uh, solution. I totally agree with you. And you want to know something? I follow something like that in a similar fashion, um, even in a situation where I where if I go to see a movie, if it really leaves me feeling cold, I'll get up and leave. I don't have to stay for the right. whole thing. You know, I don't well, want to you know subject what? People myself. didn't used to do that years ago. I don't because know about Because the movie costs money, and they're going to stay till the very end. Well, I, I was just at a movie last week, actually, at a, uh, a screening in, in the film festival in Miami, and I was the only one that walked out of a movie because I thought it was so horrible. <laughs> you did know, any, in the middle of did it. anybody ask you why you left? No, because it was the middle of the movie. But I walked out because it was just so unappealing, and I was being inundated with these images that I felt were very, very, they weren't serving any purpose to me. I was not into the characters, and uh, the emotional dynamics of the characters was very negative, and I didn't feel like being subjected to that. Well, I think that's really healthy and grown up. I walked out of Metropolitan Opera once, and I, it was awful for me, for me. I just couldn't sit there anymore, and when I walked out, the attendants who were standing in the door said, well, it finally got you, huh? I said, yes. I said to him, do other people walk out? Yes. But I'll, I'll bet you that a lot of people who were sitting there were just uh, falling asleep because they they couldn't handle it. But that's an individual kind of decision that when we know what we need and want, we can give ourselves. But, you know, other people wouldn't be able to do that. I've met other people who would never walk out of anything like that. Well, yeah, I could understand that because, uh, but I'm not, you know, I don't like to subject myself to a situation right. where I'm uncomfortable, and I don't feel so the Robert, need to do that. So, Robert, you know what you need. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we're giving people permission who are listening to us banter back and forth, permission to walk out of things if they're unhappy there. Well, I, I would even take it further and say I hope we're giving people permission to shower the people they come into contact with with real love and attention, you know, in their daily well, life. Because it makes a huge difference to the, the, uh, to the other people. Not, it, you feel great when you're doing it. Don't get me wrong. There's a selfishness to this, too. Because I know that when I can bring love to a situation and I'm connected to myself, you know, which is not all the time that I feel like doing this, by the way, or I'm in the mode to do it. But when I do that, I feel great doing it, and I see the response from other people. I could feel it of course. Imme immediately. When I got out of a cab yesterday, and the cab driver from the Congo said to me, it's really been a pleasure to have you in my taxi. 
That's wonderful. It was. I loved it. But I knew what I was doing. I was talking to a man about his country and how I'd had some people from from the Congo. There are two Congos, by the way, South and something else, for dinner. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And this was the truth. I was a member of the International <coughs> Institute in Los Angeles. And right. we had people for dinner. But, you know, when I was in um, New Zealand teaching, I met a lady who worked to keep young women out of prison. And she wrote a book that she gave to me, and the last line of the book is, it starts with a smile. Right. Isn't that wonderful? I, I think it is. You know, I definitely think it is. It was to me, is. yeah. Well, because... Yeah. Um, a smile is better than a scowl. You know, when you run into somebody, um, I hate to make a generalization, but I'll, I'll give an example. For those who live in a big metropolitan area, you and I, Alice, we live in New York City. We both live in high-rise apartments. And, well, in my building, you know, the people that work here always have a scowl. You know, they're not happy and they're overburdened, you know. And I've been in yeah. other cities. I've been in other cities and other apartment buildings where the people are always smiling and they're always happy. <clears throat> so, you know, it makes a difference when you encounter one versus the other. It makes a big difference. Oh, I would say so, but I think that you can do something about the scowl. Well, I think you can go you can. up to people and say anything that where they realize that they're seeing. I mean. One of the things that people suffer from is feeling invisible. And when you go up and recognize, how's your day, or I hope that everything is okay with you, that's recognizing that they're alive. Right. And it momentarily takes them out of their own thoughts, too. Yes, which... and maybe it will give them a chance to have some other thoughts. I totally agree. You know, people feel really bereft when they feel that they don't matter, when nobody sees them, when they're scared. And we can do something about that. Absolutely, by showering attention and love on them. And that's, that's really right. what it's about. And so in the few minutes we have left, we have about two minutes left to the show, Alice. Um, any particular insights you want to give the audience on the particular combination of physical, spiritual, and emotional um, energy that would get behind ultimate attention factor. Anything you want to share with the audience in the last few minutes of the show? Well, you know, I only moved to New York six years ago in my 70s. And my son came in from San Diego and said, Mom, you're never going to make it. I said, just watch me. I knew how to get myself out of there and to ask for help. And I think that one of the most important things now that we have to learn is to ask for help. It's not a weakness. It's being really intelligent and knowing that you can't do something without getting some support and help. And I went to a conference recently that was called The Truth Behind the Titles. These were all women, and some of them, have had, ner some of them had nervous breakdowns at work. And one woman couldn't get, couldn't move from her desk. She was just paralyzed. And the bottom line for each of these women, there were six of them, was learn to ask for help. 
Interesting. Well, we're all human. We all come onto this planet to have multiple experiences and share love. And when we're coming from that place in any situation, when we can really bring that kind of love and attention to the situations in our life, we're way ahead of the game. That's how I see it. And it's not just any attention. It's positive attention. It's loving attention. It's a loving energy, basically. That's right, because you have people. Uh, your first questionnaire was overindulgent. Some people don't like attention, believe it or not, or that because they're never getting the kind they, they want. How about the little boy who every, every holiday time used to give his father and mother a list of exactly the puzzles and the numbers of them that he wanted because he was a puzzle maker? He never got one. I had a woman say to me, well, now I know what's been wrong in my marriage for 43 years. These are important statements when people begin to learn about attention. I totally agree. Alice, we've run out of time. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Alice March, The Attention Factor. You could check out her website, theattentionfactor.com, and contact Alice for a list of upcoming seminars and events. Alice, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I loved it. Okay, and we'll talk soon. Thank you to all my listeners. This is Robert Fisher from Monergy Life, wishing you a pleasant evening. Good night. Me too. Bye.